welcome back to the Shift Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Matthew, and I'm joined today by Cruz. Just a two-man show today, but we're happy to be back in your feed on your podcast app, wherever you happen to be listening. Uh, we know it's been a while, and we uh, said kind of the same things last time, but you know, it's just been a crazy couple months uh, with a lot of people's schedules, but we are happy to be back. Cruz, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. How are you? Did I cut out? I uh, can't complain. Yeah, I think it cut out a little bit, but oh my god, no, it's all good. It was just building suspense. Um, but yeah, we're back here today. Um, and I know if you might be confused by the title, we're still still waiting on Lord of the Rings. We still have to prepare for that um, and kind of get that out. That's just really been with as thick as those movies are. We just haven't felt right about recording with everybody's schedules being the way it is. And uh, so we're kind of getting back to one of the things that we talked about last year was whenever we have the chance to kind of get on here and quickly just talk about something we've seen recently, that's what we're going to do. Um, so today we will be covering uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. And uh, we're also going to have an opening segment return. Um, you know, we used to have opening segments every week and we've got a good topic we want to discuss here. So. But before we do that, uh, Cruz, I thought it would be nice if we could just kind of go into some of the things that we've been watching over the past weeks and months. Uh, spoiler alert, I have not watched a lot, so this is going to be your time to shine. So go ahead, take it away, and uh, tell the people what you've been watching. Yeah, I've watched a lot, so I'll, I'll try to be fast with it. Um, I watched two of the five small acts films that Steve McQueen did i plan on watching the rest i've just only had time to watch two of the five i watched alex weedle which was great and i watched education which is also great um from that series and i definitely recommend it it's on prime it's um i didn't watch the the i don't know if it's an episode or film he calls it films but at the golden globes it was nominated for tv um that's the but that's the series that uh, what's his name? Boyega. I forget his name. He was in yeah, Star Wars. Yeah, he's he's in that. I haven't gotten to see his episode yet, but he's a great actor, so I'm looking forward to it. But Steve McQueen's a great director, and those two films I watched were really really good. Um, I watched The Trial of the Chicago Seven. I wasn't a big fan. Thankfully, Jake's not here. He would jump on me for that one because I know he's a big fan of it. Um, <laughs> That's true. But I it just wasn't – I wasn't too into it. Um, I watched Nomadland, which won big yesterday. Um, I liked it. It was one of those movies where I appreciated, like, how it was made and the vision more than I actually enjoyed it, if that makes sense. Um, so it's, it's just one of those things where I respected it more than I actually like enjoyed it. Um, but it was very, very good. And I was not mad at seeing it win a uh, big at the golden globes yesterday. Uh, then I watched Malcolm and Marie. The first time I watched, it, I didn't like it. The second time I watched it, I liked it much more. Um, it's got issues, but I think some people are being a little uncharitable towards it. I think there's more to the movie than I think a lot of people are are acting like there is, I guess. Like people are, are pretty much 
saying it's just like a shallow director getting mad at criticism. I think there's a lot, lot more going on than just that, but but it, it does have some issues for sure. Um, I watched The Piano Teacher. Uh, I'm, I'm not even going to try to say his name because um, I'm just going to butcher it, but that movie was amazing. That was one of the best movies I've seen in, in a while. Um, definitely recommend The Piano Teacher. Then I watched Blood Simple, which is the Coen Brothers' debut film, and that movie was great. I really, really liked that one. I watched Killer Joe by William Friedkin. That movie was pretty good. I thought Emil Hirsch was horrible in that movie, and usually I like his stuff, but I thought he was terrible in that movie. But Matthew McConaughey was amazing in that movie, so it kind of balances out. Um, and then I watched Shame, the... Steve McQueen film that came after Hunger, and that movie was incredible. Steve McQueen's one of my favorite directors, so I pretty much love usually anything he does, and I thought Shame was no exception, one of the best things I've seen from him. But aside from Judas and the Black Messiah, that's all I've seen. Yeah, I, I mean, I knew I was going to sit here with my notepad and just kind of write down a lot of the things you said because I, I need some recommendations. Uh, I've been really busy with school. I'm about to hit a little bit of a slow patch here, so hopefully I can get back to watching some content. But yeah, I mean, it's uh, you, you weren't lying. That's that's a lot. <laughs> and, and yeah, I mean, I, I've watched uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, so <laughs> that that completes my list. I, I don't think I've sat down to watch. I mean, I've thrown on some movies that I've seen, you know, several times, like just to be background noise when I'm like working on something. But um, as far as just sitting down and watching a movie that I have not yet seen, Judas and the Black Messiah is probably the first one, probably since Happiest Season. I mean, it, since our last podcast, which at this point is almost three months ago. So, I mean, oh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's something I'm forgetting, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's been a minute. So. I'm sure there's something I'm forgetting too. I feel like there is. I just can't think of it. I mean, I, I guess you could say that I watched um, my wife like really loves the Hunger Games movies, and she recently rewatched those. And I, I didn't sit down and give them my full attention, but I did watch. Um, I, I made sure to pay attention a little bit during the ones that I had not seen, or at least only seen like parts of. Um, I'm I'm not qualified to talk on those. I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan, but I, I I definitely um they they had so many more actors in in those movies than I remember. It's oh yeah, that movie would make me sad to rewatch because Philip Seymour Hoffman's one of my favorites and yeah, see, would make me sad. She watched, she watched part two, like Mockingjay part two, and uh, she was telling me that I think some of the scenes they had to use like CGI or something because he he had passed away before yeah finish and. Yeah, seeing him on screen was it was definitely really sad because I mean he he's he was so great. Um, but yeah, random. I guess the only random side note I had about that is I was watching it and like I I wasn't super clued into the plot, but I would just look at these actors that would show up and I was like, why are they in this movie? I didn't know they were in this movie. Like <laughs> Jennifer Lawrence is walking and doing this, like just going to do something, and Mahershala Ali just pops up, and I'm like, what is he doing in this movie? And then. Natalie Dormer's in the movie and um, Gwendolyn Christie's in the movie. And I was just sitting there like, this is this. I mean, and obviously Woody Harrelson's in the movie and um, so many others. I can't um, off the top of my head, obviously Philip Seymour Hoffman, but I mean, that movie was, 
those movies were loaded actors wise. So, uh, that that's a random thought. Not we're not. Yeah, I don't. I didn't. I didn't remember there being that many. I knew that there was like some very notable ones like Philip Seymour Hoffman and Woody Harrelson, but I didn't realize there were that many people in there. And they have minor roles, which is the thing. I mean, that movie came out in 2015, but. All right, but this is not Hunger Games pod, but I just had to get that out there because I was sitting there and my wife started getting annoyed because I, I just kept saying like, oh my God, that, that person's in this movie. But uh, anyway, but yeah, that's that's great. I hope I can start to watch some more things, especially if we start to cover more on the pod uh, while we uh, still prep for Lord of the Rings. But Cruz, if you're ready, I think we can get right into our opening segment today. Yeah, and it's a doozy. Um, for uh, any fans of actual cinema out there, you will be very <laughs> thrilled to know uh, that we're going to touch on the Martin Scorsese versus superhero genre uh, debate just a little bit. I know that it kind of got drilled into the ground, and we're really late on this, uh, but you know we never really talked about it, and we had recently, me and Cruz had been texting about it just randomly, and we thought it'd make a good first, make a good idea for a segment. Uh, just to kind of open things up. So, Cruz, I'm going to let you kind of um, take it. I mean, obviously, I'm sure most people know, you know, he, um, in an interview with, um pretty sure it was with, it was with Empire Magazine. Um, and this is a quote, just ask, when asked about superhero films, Marvel films, I guess, in particular, he said, I don't see them. I tried, you know, but that's not cinema. Scorsese told Empire. Honestly, the closest I can think of them, as well as as well made as they are, with actors doing the best they can under the circumstances, is theme parks. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. So uh, I'll let you kind of give, you know, your take on that and how you feel about it, and I will follow up. Uh, yeah, so... Um, big. I'm a big Martin Scorsese fan. Um, I enjoy uh Marvel movies and blockbusters. I don't enjoy them as much as everyone else. Um, but I do enjoy. Like I enjoy them when they're on. Um, as of whereas with Martin Scorsese, I'm a really big fan of his movies. Um, but I remember hearing the comment. And I was like, that's weird. Um, I'm not sure if I totally agree with him, but I'm sure that this will be a huge thing in the next couple of days. It's going to blow up. And it did. And he wrote an essay um, kind of further explaining what he meant. And I read the essay. And I was like, and once I read the essay, essay I was like, okay, I feel like this got a lot of big reactions. I feel like if most people read the essay, it probably wouldn't be as big of a deal now that he's kind of better articulated his point. Um, Are you talking about the New York Times opinion piece? Yes. The, the one that where he's like, I said, Marvel isn't cinema. Let me explain that. Yeah, one. I've got, I, that's the one I had read and I've got it pulled up as well. So I just wanted to be sure. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um, I read that and he said many things that I agree with. I might not feel as strongly about certain things as he does. I think the biggest issue is semantics. Um, and I think that's what everybody really got mad about. Um, Cause once again, I feel like if people really 
looked at the overall sentiments of what he was saying. It's really not that disagreeable for the most part, and I do think he brings up important points. Um, I definitely disagree with him about Marvel not being cinema. Um, I know that he more meant it just personally, but you know, I the I consider all movie cinema, good or bad, even the ones I, I hate, because to me, cinema is just making a film. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure if you look up the definition of cinema, it just it says like creating a film. It's just a film. Um, and I think that in theory, Marvel movies and big blockbusters and stuff like that, I don't think it always has to be an emotional, psychological thing like he says. Those are my favorite kind of movies. I love it when movies do that. I love it when movies challenge, you know, social norms and, and you know, popular sentiments people have. It kind of challenges that and has to make you think and reflect on different things. I love movies like that. Those are my favorite movies. But there is something special about escapism and having something just be fun and just take you on like a ride. And I actually do think comparing Marvel movies to theme parks in a not like backhanded way is actually a pretty good way to describe it because it is like getting on a theme park. It's like getting on a roller coaster ride because it's just exhilarating throughout and it's something that's fun, but I don't think that's bad. I don't think that cheapens a film and cheapens the idea of cinema as a whole. Uh, I think that everything that kind of is under the umbrella of film is, is really important and has its place where I do somewhat agree with him on a couple points he made was, I don't think there's a lot of stakes with superhero movies and blockbusters. Um, Cause typically you go into if you go into a Spider-Man movie nowadays or you do go into an Iron Man movie, you at the end of the day, you know what's going to happen, and it's usually goes out that way. The superhero wins at the end of the day. Everything pretty much works out for the most part. It's usually probably the best case scenario that you can get. Um, whereas, yeah, with a movie like Goodfellas or Taxi Driver, if you haven't looked it up, you know, you don't really know where that movie, those movies are going to go. So I, I definitely agree that bigger blockbusters, especially nowadays, there aren't as many stakes because usually you can kind of guess where it's going to go at the end. You don't have a lot of movies that are willing to kind of have a darker um, ending or just like a subversive like movie where it, it kind of subverts your expectations at the end and not everything wraps up in a nice bow. Um. But once again, I don't think that's an issue. I don't, I don't think movies should have to be that all the time. I think there needs to be a, a, a balance. But that's where I really agree with the sentiment. There's not a balance anymore like there used to be. Those would produce, big studios would produce uh, big blockbusters that were just fun and, and you, you went and you had a good time. And they would also help produce movies that were more challenging and and you know artsier and you know weirder like a you would get a Kubrick and a Spielberg it's and now it feels like you just get a Spielberg and the Kubricks of today are having to struggle unless they were able to get huge and get blank checks like Nolan and Tarantino 
now you have filmmakers who used to be some of the most respected filmmakers who are having to go to streaming services to get their films financed. Um, like uh, Alfonso Cuaron or a Coen Brothers or a Scorsese. And I'm glad that's there. I'm glad that we have that still to finance those movies. I'm very thankful for that. But I, I can sympathize with the frustration that someone like Scorsese has who literally went from being one of the most respected filmmakers in the world and now has to you know, struggle to finance a movie because it's not a reverse engineered, like pandering audience film. And I can understand that. And I can understand why that's very frustrating. Um, I guess the way it goes down to is I, I do wish there was a bit more of a balance. I wish it was kind of like how it used to be where, you know, they put out their blockbusters and they make profits off of that, but they would use some of that profit to also help produce uh, you know, more art, artsier, challenging films. And I think it's very obvious the reason they don't do that now is because they've realized they can maximize their profits if they just continue to make more blockbuster movies. Um, and I, so I understand the frustrations that Scorsese has there. And Scorsese did also say that he went on in that article that we brought up a couple minutes ago. He also says that there are a lot of things that he loves about movies that he considers cinema that is in superhero movies. So he's not saying that it's completely devoid of it. He, he ends up saying, he makes the distinction that the big thing for him that differentiates the Marvel movies and stuff like that is there's a lack of stakes. And I definitely do agree with that. I, I, usually I'm, I'm pretty, I roll my eyes when people try to criticize Marvel movies because I feel like it's just, they're easy to pick on. Because they're just, you know, trying to please a certain and have fun, and they're not trying to be a good fella. So I think it's an easy movie to pick on. But I do agree with that criticism that there does feel like a lack of stakes, even when they try to make you feel those type of stakes. Um, so I feel like I'm getting off base here. So essentially, I agree with a lot of what Scorsese says. I disagree that Marvel isn't cinema. I think all things are cinema. I think Marvel is an important aspect of cinema and I wish there was a better balance and coexistence where, you know, our tours could get their films, you know, financed and, and not have to struggle to get their movies up in a theater. Like it, it used to be easier for them and you could have this better, you know, balance between the two. But with that being said, I think that, superhero movies or big blockbusters should go away. Um, I think they should continue to be made. I just, I just wish um, that it wasn't so hard for directors like Scorsese to get their movies made. I, the, I know that there's inflation, but I feel like, I feel like these studios are making so much money that they definitely could put a couple, you know, a couple million aside to help make a movie, um, to help like the Coen brothers or someone make a movie. So I guess maybe I can, when, when you, uh, go on, maybe I can articulate it better when, when, um, you come into the discussion and I can hear your perspective more. Cause I feel like there's some things I'm missing, but I, I probably need to be reminded of it. Yeah. Um, well, I, I agree. And I have, I mean, over the past few days, I should have written more, written even more notes because I mean, I have so many things that I want to say about it because 
I just have so many different thoughts. And like, like you said, I love Martin Scorsese's, the movies of his that I've seen. I, I usually always enjoy them. Um, so this is not going to be me like, you know, tearing him apart. Um, but I also, I mean, I would be lying if I said that I, I don't, I've been on record several times. I love the MCU. I love Marvel movies. I love superhero movies. Uh, the MCU is easily my favorite franchise. Um, I couldn't say that probably like three or four years ago, or well, I would say probably five, six years ago. I mean, I, I kind of just all at once kind of got invested. And now, I mean, it's every week I'm kind of just sitting on pins and needles waiting to watch WandaVision. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I, I'm definitely in that camp, but I also, I mean, I have, you know, I have an infinity war poster on the wall behind me, but I also have a whiplash poster right next to it. So, I mean, I, you know, it's, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm a film savant, but I definitely, um, I think I'm, I think I'm well-rounded, I would say. So that's kind of my perspective um, coming into it. But first thing I want to say is that I don't think ultimately, you know, there is no, and me and I know Jake's not on the podcast today, but me and Jake were talking about this a little bit the other day. Um, you know, there is no end all be all for cinema. I definitely think that any type of sentiment that he, and I'm not saying, and I, I agree with you. I don't think he was trying to say that, there are hard rules. I mean, he comes off that way. I think that's the boomer in him, honestly. It, yeah. And th that's my thing is I, I understand his, where he's coming from because I texted you this the other day. I think it would be hilarious if Martin Scorsese did love Marvel movies. Like if he watched Iron Man and was just like, I can't wait to see what happens next. Like, I, I think that would be hilarious. Like, I don't, I don't, ex I'm not disappointed in him. Um, but what I will say is that, I don't, I don't think that he just comes <coughs> off as very, it, it, there are sour grapes here. And I think there's sour <laughs> grapes with any time somebody kind of tears down either Marvel or superhero movies. I, I think it could be, I don't think it's the genre itself that they're mad at. I think it's just the fact that, like you said, you know, more and more movies, it's harder to get like certain <laughs> types of movies funded. And I think that's more of a, I mean, the success of like, the MCU definitely is a big factor, but I think it's just circumstantial. I don't think it's the genre itself that is like tearing things down or, or causing the type of like distress that people like Scorsese are feeling. I, I think it's more of a sign of the times in general, and it doesn't really matter that it's superhero films. I think he just kind of got off on a tangent there because he was asked about it and because they're so popular. Like, I mean, for example, you know, there's there's always been blockbuster movies that I'm sure that Scorsese didn't enjoy. Like, I don't think that, you know, Scorsese was probably super excited when Star Wars was dominating the box office or Jurassic Park or Indiana Jones or Titanic or whatever, whatever it is, Terminator. You know, there's always been type of there's always been these films that more people are going to be more likely to see because they serve a different purpose rather than, you know, maybe one of Scorsese's films would, would serve. I mean, I think that's just fair to say there there's, there's different genres that serve different purposes for different people. And that's just a fact of, of life, I think. Um, so, so basically I want to get back on task. Like, I don't, I think that the problems that Scorsese would have with the modern like film industry, I think would have happened regardless. If, if the MCU was not a thing, I think these type of issues would have, would have 
cropped up somewhere else. Um, I, I say that to try and just defend the superhero genre itself, because I think that it's, I also think it's not fair to say that it's not cinema because like I've said, there's just different, there are different goals and different objectives you have with every type of genre. And I, I agree with you that, you know, part of the superhero genre is one of the, one of the principles of it is that they're by default, I guess, are lower stakes because you do know pretty much going into most superhero movies that this is going to be resolved one way or another. And, you know, that in and of itself for a lot of people, I could definitely, I definitely respect the opinion that, Oh, I don't want to watch this. I know what's going to happen. I, I definitely get that sentiment where I would counter that is I would say that that's not why people are watching superhero movies. Um, you know, it's a, it's a feel good type of experience. You know, you want to relate to these characters. And I think that's the, that's why the MCU has been so successful because where where the MCU lacks in terms of like artistic risk or narrative risk, I think they excel in character development and character relatability. Like I, I could tell you that I don't necessarily care about a lot of the plots in maybe a standalone movie, but I care because I've seen these characters you know, evolve over a period of time and I want to see what happens to them and I want to see how they react to certain things that happen. Um, so I, I, I'm getting off on a tangent, but basically I just want to say that, you know, there, there, like I've, I just keep coming back to it. There's different reasons why you watch different movies. Like I'm not going to go into rewatching an Avengers movie because I want to, you know, I guess be shocked by like certain things. Like I, I just want to, it does make me feel good, but I also just really love the characters that I'm seeing on the screen. And, you know, it, it's funny. I, I read this part in this uh, IndieWire article that kind of sum, summarizes the whole thing. It goes on to later talk about um, Ethan Hawke a little bit. And it says, Scorsese's thoughts on Marvel movies recall a similar opinion shared by Ethan Hawke in August 2018. The first reformed actor told FilmStage that moviegoers were treating superhero movies as if they were great works of art, which is not the case. And then he goes on to talk about Logan, which I think is a great movie. And he said that people told him that Logan was a great movie. And that he, he went and he was like, well, it's a good superhero movie, but it's not a good movie. Um, or it's not like just a great movie and he said i think there's a big difference and of oh, course again i think i think that's just you know i think it's a generational thing i think it's just sour grapes i hate to i hate to turn everything into just oh you're just jealous but i really do think it's a little bit of that because obviously these movies are super popular you know everything marvel puts out right now is gonna like do big numbers and i totally would understand somebody that is outside of that and and is a world-class actor or director i would totally understand them wanting to sound off and be like well this isn't cinema this isn't you know you should watch my movie that this is what real movies are i totally get that I, and i and i think it's it would be really hard to not have sort of an opinion like that i just personally disagree and I, like you said I, I mean i think that um I, I've said it 14 times, but sorry, but you know, there's different genres, there's different types of experiences. 
and people are going to go see people are there's a reason people are drawn to these types of movies there's a reason people wanted to you know fled to the theaters to watch star wars for 40 years like there's a reason why and i think it's because at the end of the day you know a lot of people want to have they just want to have a great experience and that's what they can give you it doesn't mean that they're devoid of emotional impact or that they're they can't be you know these types of risky or just really impactful experiences because i think part of the beauty of genres in general is that the superhero genre or whatever you want to what other whatever other type of category of film you want to talk about it, it's a canvas that you can use to tell different types of stories and i know scorsese would probably roll his eyes but there are different types of stories told across the mcu you know there's different types of genres transposed onto a superhero canvas and doesn't mean it doesn't mean that it's a world class film. It doesn't mean that it's going to win a Golden Globe, but you know it's it's still there's inherent value there. Um, and now you know Ethan Hawke said that three years ago, and now Ethan Hawke is going to be in an MCU TV show with Oscar Isaac. Uh, so you know the, it comes full circle. I don't know if his opinions have changed about superhero movies, but uh. Obviously, his agent or his wallet is being influenced in some way if he still feels that way because uh, I and I don't really care how he feels about it because I get to watch Ethan Hawke and Oscar Isaac be in a Marvel show. So um, I'm living good. That's that's going to be awesome. Uh, so I've been rambling. But yeah, at the end of the day, I, I, I think it's a it's a case of Martin Scorsese is is older I don't expect him to love the things that, you know, a 25 year old would love. I don't expect him to share those same sentiments, but I also think it's just a bit of like recency bias. Like if it was, I think streaming was always going to hurt, you know, smaller films. And just because superhero movies are what is most popular right now, I don't think it's indicative of the genre itself. Like there's nothing inherent about, Oh, this is a superhero movie that's killing cinema to someone like that. I think, I think it could be anything else right now. And he probably would feel the same way. Um, so yeah, I'll stop now. Well, uh, there's a lot to impact there. There's a lot I want to talk about that. What you said, um, first, that really disappoints me to hear Ethan Hogg say that. To be honest, because, I can read I, to be fair to him uh if Ethan Hawke is listening out there I can be fair and I can uh you know I can give the full quote just to just to be transparent um this is what he said now we have the problem they tell us Logan is a great movie Hawke said well it's a great superhero movie it still involves people in tots with metal coming out of their hands it's not Bresson it's not Bergman but they talk about it like it is I went to see Logan because everyone was like this is a great movie and I was like really no this is a fine superhero movie there's a difference, but big business doesn't think there's a difference. Big business wants you to think this is a great film because they want to make money off of it. And that's the quote. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm, I mean, Logan's not my favorite movie in the world. I do think it's a very, very good movie. But I just, I don't know. I've, I get annoyed when when people are like, oh, artsy movies are stupid and movies should just be entertainment and escapism, but I also get equally annoyed when everyone's like, well, it's not Bergman. And it's like, well, Sinister's not Bergman. I just get so confused. Cause I feel like if you're going to be that kind of way of like, 
oh well i mean this movie's okay but it's not bergman so i feel like you would you would not you would only pick movies i don't even know what that means though is yeah. as well because i don't i don't know why bergman I, I mean bergman's a great director he's made some of the some of some of the most influential films of all time i just don't understand like <laughs> i guess i just don't understand why uh, the like most like unconventional art house films have to automatically be the best. And this is coming from someone who typically prefers those, but I don't know why something like Indiana Jones can't be considered just a great film. Um, I don't understand why Logan is only a great superhero film. I feel like you could, you, I feel like you could make that argument for any movie that genre. I think you could say, well, the shining's a, the shining's a great horror movie, but it's not a great movie. I mean, I know you guys don't like The Shining, but a lot of people consider The Shining to be. <laughs> yeah. But it's like the 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's a great sci-fi movie. It's not a great movie. I feel like you could just you could make that argument for anything. I get what he's trying to say. I just once again, I don't feel. I feel like I feel like I. I guess my problem, which there's a lot of things I want to address too, that I actually want to maybe defend Scorsese on, but also things that you said I really agree with. I want to get into. But I think a big thing, a big issue I have lately with this type of stuff is that when people start saying that all these movies aren't good, like all these superhero movies and stuff aren't good because they're not Bergman, I feel like that cheapens cinema as a whole. Because like if, yeah. if you have if you have to make Bergman esque movies to be like great cinema, and like I that that's pretty boring to me. You know, mm -hmm. Jaws can be just as important and great as a film as something like 2001 A Space Odyssey. Do I prefer one of the over, one over the other? Of course, like everyone has their tastes. But I, ju I, think, I think you end up cheapening cinema when you're saying everything has to be a certain kind of way. And you can't have just agree. like some fun there. Um, completely agree. But... I, I like that you mentioned the Star Wars thing. I would really like to hear Scorsese touch on that because I know Scorsese in that article he talks about how um, Hitchcock was the theme park rides of his generation. That 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 blew my mind. I was like, wow! Like, because the same comparison he's making to superhero movies is seen as an insult, and then when he talks about Hitchcock, I was just like, wow! He's really gonna. I mean, I don't know. And that's just think that just That's seems like a, a slot almost. And I was just like, why? I mean, he's really going for it. But anyway, go ahead. Well, that's what I was wondering, too, because then he, he makes the distinction where he's like the difference between Hitchcock and Marvel is that. I forget if he, I think it's North by Northwest where he's like, there's all these great set pieces that for the time were like these big Marvel set pieces. But there's a, a, a core emotional grip to like the character. And that's why North by Northwest gets remembered. And that's why everyone's going to remember North by Northwest because of the emotional arc and the characters. And that's what's lacking with superhero movies. I don't know if you can necessarily say that since superhero movies haven't been around as long as Hitchcock. Um, I mean, will every superhero movie be remembered the same way Hitchcock movies will? Obviously not, but I feel like there's going to obviously be a couple that will go the distance of being remembered as a great film. Um, it's the same thing with when Western movies back in the day were the marvel of that generation. Just like they just kept pumping out Western movies. But like 
some Western, some of those movies would go on to be remembered as all timers. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if Logan or something like that will be an all timer. I do think that the Dark Knight will be remembered for a very, very long time. But that's another thing that I wanted to get to that you said um, that I, I this might be a bit of a defense for Scorsese. I don't know if this is necessarily what he meant. This is what I took it as. This is how I feel about it. Um, when you were saying, like, inherently with the superhero genre, there's low stakes. What I think Scorsese is saying, and this is where I would agree with him the most about my problem with superhero movies nowadays, is I do think, actually, you can have a lot of emotional stakes and stuff. The big problem that I have with Marvel movies... And I don't think they're bad, and I don't think that they should be taken away because I understand their place. Um, I guess I guess the thing that that I'm not the biggest fan about, and there's a YouTuber who kind of talks about this too, Patrick Willem, who's great. Um, I I think the problem that I have the most is that because they're trying to keep such a consistent like style and and like narrative going on that they can't give like a ton of artistic liberties to the filmmakers. So like when you have yeah. Spider-Man Homecoming, Spider-Man Homecoming, there's a lot of stylistic similarities to other Marvel movies in the MCU. Whereas something like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man is just wild. It's all over the place. Like uh, it's got a lot of different emotional stakes. You don't know you you know that the good guy will win at the end of a Sam Raimi Spider Man movie, but you don't necessarily know at what cost all the time. Yeah. Or, or something like The Dark Knight before The Dark Knight Rises ruined that. Like The Dark Knight had a lot of real <laughs> stakes. So did Logan. Yeah. But what you said is, I don't think that's necessarily. I don't know. This is like such I a. I, I want to jump in because I. I articulate this fully but what i wanted to say is that while i agree that inherently like if you if you think that oh the main character winning and losing if you think that is like if you haven't watched a lot of superhero movies and you just think oh that that's the ultimate stake like oh i know he's gonna win then yeah i could understand how you would say these have no stakes but i would say that in a genre like that Stakes have to exist in different forms, and I think they do in in MCU movies in different shapes and fashions. Now that not that might not that still might not attract you to watch the movie, like like in Captain America: Winter Soldier, like that's I mean if you ask like a casual Marvel fan or even like a very you know sweaty Marvel fan, the <laughs> most people will tell you that's like in their top three. It's really really good, and in that movie, you know. I mean, I guess spoilers for a seven-year-old movie, but whatever. Like, in that movie, Steve Rogers, you know, he ends up basically losing. I mean, he doesn't. He doesn't die or anything, but he 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 loses, I guess, a, a hand-to-hand fight, maybe, or he, he almost dies. But the, basically, the whole crux of the movie is that he is being, his whole life, he has led a life where he trusts his country and he wants to do right by his his government or you know he was in the military he wants to he ha- he is driven by a sense of nobility towards a common goal and in that movie it's torn down because he he is he is shown firsthand that hey uh the government is not always uh they're not always doing the right things like they're you know 
everything that is in his worldview kind of comes apart because he finds out that these government agencies are going to do some really shady stuff that goes against his principles as a person. I say all that to say that that is a, that is a type of stake for Captain America in that movie. He, he is at odds with, you know, what, what does he do now that his country, the thing that he was kind of driven by is not something that he as a person can stand for. So you have a movie where he doesn't lose technically, like it ends on an, a positive note, but it also has a stake in the form of like an emotional beat for the character. And I, and I'm not saying that all superhero movies do that, but I, I will say that there are different forms of stakes. In, in, well, that's in what I was movies, getting at with the dark knight. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off like that. Yeah. No, you're, you're good. Go ahead. Well, that's, that's the dark knight too. Like at the end of the day, the dark knight, he beats Joker, but Rachel dies. Um, his, he puts a lot of, of like faith into Harvey Dent being like the face of good for Gotham, but then he dies and he, he dies in really bad circumstances where he essentially, you know, becomes evil or just like, you know, I mean that comic book version of evil, there's a lot of emotional stakes and that's one of those movies where that's a superhero movie where like. It's one of those things that I was trying to say where, like, Batman wins in the end, but at what cost? And that's where the stakes come from. Same thing with Spider-Man, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. I don't always feel that in the MCU. That's a great example that you gave, too. Um, I don't always feel that in the MCU. Sometimes I do feel that, like what you said with Captain America. I think this comes into another problem, though, with Scorsese as much as I love him, but he also self-admittedly said that he doesn't watch MCU movies, so it's it's kind of it's kind of bold to make those proclamations about something you don't watch. Mm-hmm. That's that's um, one thing I thought about is when he said that I tried. Like, I, I would love to know what movies he watched, or I would love to know his definition of I tried. Suicide Squad. I tried to watch them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would, I would, I wouldn't blame him if he only watched Suicide Squad. Then I'd get it. But yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. Like you said, you tried. Like I'm not saying you have to. I'm not one of those MCU fans that says, "Oh, you have to watch all 23 movies to understand." You don't have to do that. But it's like, did you watch one? Movie? One of the good ones. Or did, did you did you, watch, did you watch it in the background with your granddaughter? Like, did she watch it and you were kind of just sitting there, like not judging it the whole time? I don't know. But yeah, go ahead. That I would love to know what he means by he tried because I don't think mm-hmm. it would be I don't think it would be an honest effort. Um, oh, there's so many things I want to say too. Um, I don't want to go on too long. Um, yeah, I, I only it, had, I had one other side note. Whenever you got done, one other point that I forgot to make. But yeah, one probably the biggest sentiment I have, and this is where I would agree with you in something you said, where this was going to happen regardless. It doesn't matter about the superhero genre. I agree with that. One thing that that Martin Scorsese said, though, that I do want to say real quick, and I do agree with him on this, where he said people will say it's supply and demand, it's chicken and egg. I do agree with that, but I don't think that's necessarily – but I think that also goes into what you were saying. It was a matter of time that there became another genre that – attracted audiences and then corporations were going to reverse engineer it and make it a product that's always going to sell big. Yeah. It was a matter of time. Well, so, so that kind of touches on one of the points that I had, the last points I wanted to make is that I think, I think you could, 
definitely you can't really disagree with the fact that I mean corporate like movies have always been corporate in a certain sense. Like I remember when I was a young child and the star Wars prequels were coming out, um, you know, every commercial you saw in every fast food restaurant you went by, like, I mean, it was the toys. Um, the mall was full of just like, you know, buy all these star Wars toys and like, go see this movie. I I grew up during the Sam Raimi Spider-Man era. I remember all Burger King toys, collect them all tons of it. Yeah, so what I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, and while I know Star Wars and Spider Man are obviously super big IP, like that 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 inherent um, attitude has always been there in some shape or form. Now, I definitely still agree. I do agree that you know we're obviously in an IP driven era, and like if you have a movie that can relate to an IP and you sell it well, I mean you're probably going to get money for it. But I, I think the the ultimate point I wanted to make is that it's not like it's always been a layup to make superhero movies that are good. I mean, for the vast majority of cinema history, we probably had like, I mean, single digit, a single digit number of superhero movies that I would say were really good. So, I mean, for for the first, and especially after like Sam Raimi made Spider-Man, there was a very, like a very, um, big chunk of time in in you know film where studios just thought oh well if we just slap a superhero name on this movie and we make it like people will come see it and that is not that is not true at all like i mean after spider-man you had i mean a gauntlet of just terrible terrible superhero movies and so what i would say is that if it was that easy to just say oh well this is you know now we're going to make a you know, we're going to make an Adam Warlock movie. He's a Marvel character. People will come see that. And yeah, right now they probably would, but I would argue it's because Marvel and Disney say what you want about Disney, say what you want about Marvel. They have people working for the Marvel team that know how to make good superhero movies. You don't have to think they're good movies, but the fact of the matter is if you go watch a, a Marvel studios movie right now, I mean, it's, they don't miss. They they haven't missed in terms, and I'm talking about in the context of superhero movies. Like in the mid 2000s, you had a lot of stinkers because, like I said, studios just thought that, hey, we're gonna make a, we're gonna make a Punisher movie, we're gonna make a, a Catwoman movie, and it's gonna be great. And it, it, it was not. And we're gonna make a Daredevil movie, and it's it was not great. <laughs> so, I, I guess it's just the the ultimate point I wanted to make about Scorsese. What going back to him was. I'm de- I'm defending the superhero genre. I don't disagree with his very obvious um, feelings he has about the industry itself, but I think those things are separate or should be separate. I think he took the opportunity to kind of dump on Marvel movies because at the time, you know, Avengers Endgame was still in theaters and when he gave this interview and superhero movies are just the flavor right now, they're really popular. But I, I just, at the end of the day, I guess I'm more biased to defend the genre itself because I love the genre and I don't think it's any inherent. There's not inherent um, qualities of the genre that are any different than if right now, if like, I mean, if there was a huge expanded universe for like some other type of film that was, that was really popular. Like if you just took superheroes out and it was something else, you know, like that Scorsese thought was ruining the industry. I'm sure he would say the exact same things. Um, So I agree with that. I do want to say though, I think I think his point about the um and 
uh, some other people who will make the point of the reverse engineer, make sure the movies aren't bombs. I, I, I think it started out that way that you were saying, where it's like, well, we throw a superhero movie title on there and it'll be successful. I think what he was talking about, though, when he brings up the screen testing, audience testing stuff, is when they found that formula that works, they have, like, perfected that formula. That's fair. That's from a business. Fair. Now, but what, now here's what I want to say. Um, this is my big final opinion on the matter. And this is coming from someone who doesn't love the superhero genre. And Scorsese is like one of the most important filmmakers in my life because he was the first actual like director I paid attention to. I 100% agree with you on it was a matter of time because it is. I don't think it's the superhero genre's fault. It was a matter of time that studios were going to at one point say forget the art house movies whatever is the current genre that's making us the most money we just put focus on that mm -hmm. and we don't care about we don't really care about like producing a movie for a kubrick or a scorsese anymore that was coming um and that's where i agree with you i don't think it's fair to criticize the superhero industry it was one of those just like it was at the place in time it got there. You should be criticizing the film industry. And that's my big problem with Scorsese and his comments. There are many things I agree with. I do. I, I wish there could be a coexistence again where studios were like, yeah, we're going to make a billion dollars off a Marvel movie and we're going to keep a little bit of those profits and help produce a Scorsese movie or a Coen Brothers movie. I think that's how other countries operate. I could be wrong. I thought I was remember reading in Australia like like Australia, like they like have like government subsidies for like certain art films that they'll like help like finance because they think that like art house films are like important every once in a while. And I wish the U.S. did that, but that's not an indictment. That's an indictment of the film industry in the U.S. That's not an indictment of the superhero genre. Yeah. Now I am excited for the day that superhero movies aren't as popular anymore, just because I feel like then they're gonna let people do weirder stuff with it. The same way with the Western films of the day. Like when they talk about how Western films were like, just that's all they were pumping out because they were so popular. And then when the genre kind of died out, then we on then when someone did a superhero, uh, a Western movie, it was like just a, a weird artsy Western movie. I'm excited mm -hmm. for the day that we get to the point where we see weird art, weird artsy superhero films. Like I'm talking weird. Um, but I don't think that's fair to criticize the the um, superhero genre. I think the superhero genre is a valid genre. And I, the thing is, is everyone's hating on Marvel for like doing this thing where it's they're making sure everything has this certain like uh, formula to it. But at the same time, it's like they're the they're the first people to really try that why can't they not like criticize other industries that are doing it then like that's their whole stick and yeah sure they're they're probably the top person in charge their priority is to make money but very obviously there's passion in there you can't tell i had problems with um black panther um for for like certain narrative issues but you can't tell me there wasn't passion from ron cooler and everyone working on there like yeah. the, there, there is this narrative that they push out that like it's no one cares about the movies at all. James yeah. Gunn obviously is very passionate about uh, Guardians of the Galaxies. 
and stuff like that. Are there people who work on those movies where it's money first? Obviously, that's a lot of movies. Um, I wish that sometimes they would give maybe a little bit more liberties to, to their directors, but I understand what the MCU is supposed to be, where it's supposed to be consistent and doesn't go all over the place because that's the whole point. It's almost like it's almost like like a comic book where like issue after issue of a bigger arc, arcing story. Yeah. Um and in fact, it's funny that so many people will say MCU isn't cinema. There is a there is a a YouTube channel called Wisecrack. They're great. They have a podcast called Show Me the Meaning. One of my favorite podcasts. They actually bring up a funny point that the MCU is almost like the ultimate form of cinema because they harken back to the days where people would go to a theater to watch uh, an episodic little movie that would end on a cliffhanger and you'd have to go back the next week to see it. Yeah. See how it continues. Like that's how, and that, that is how movies used to be. My grandfather used to tell me stories of watching movies like that. They'd go watch a movie with a superhero or some type of hero and it would end on a cliffhanger and you had to come back to the, to the theater to watch the next episode. That's kind of what they're doing with this. Mm-hmm. And, and- I just I I have the once again I wish that they would put more like fine really my thing is not even putting movies in theaters for the art house directors I wish they would just finance their stuff that's kind of why I'm happy about streaming if streaming can become that thing where where art house directors can have their movies financed then personally I don't have a problem with it um and I just think everyone needs to stop complaining about marvel movies and just start like demanding that the industry the film industry just give some money to art house directors yeah so like i i overall there are sentiments i agree with with martin scorsese i overall agree with you i think marvel cinema i think what they're doing is is valid and there's an audience for it i do um i know that there have been some people who say yeah but the problem is is like these are the only movies they're watching. No one's going to go to a theater and watch an art house movie, but that's why that's, that could be the great thing about streaming is because I, I also agree that like when you keep pushing blockbusters out in theaters, no one watches the artsy movies anymore. And that kind of changes the overall sentiments towards movies. And I've seen that with people who say, I've seen people give the take that like movies should only be to entertain with that but that's also the great thing about streaming now is streaming is kind of becoming a place where more people are catching on to artsier movies because now they're willing to watch it at their home so i think that we should i think people should put more emphasis on streaming services being a way to widen people's taste and i think people should start criticizing the film industry and start demanding that they, you know, kind of, you know, stretch their hand back out to the little guy and try to create that coexistence and that balance again between art house movies and blockbusters. But this idea that blockbusters are like not real cinema and they're bad and they should go away. I just think I, I think that cheapens cinema as a whole as well, because there it has a place. Yeah. And people enjoy it. And that, yeah, like, and this is coming from someone who's not a big Marvel fan. I still haven't seen Endgame. Like, this is coming from someone who Martin Scorsese is one of my favorite directors. But at the end of the day, the big sentiment I agree with him on, the most part, is that I just wish the film industry would start 
kind of helping out little indie directors again. But at the end of the day, that's not an indictment of the film. Uh, uh, that's an indictment of the film industry, not the superhero industry. Yeah. Last couple of things I'll, I'll just add on and then we will move on to Judas. But I, I definitely think that I would love to have heard an answer from Scorsese if they asked him about the, if they asked him about the qualities of the film industry now that and didn't mention superheroes or Marvel. I, I wonder what his, I, I wonder if he would have jumped to criticizing superhero films. I don't think he would have maybe in the back of his mind, he might have an aversion to it, but I feel like if you just asked him about the state of state of film industry in general, I wonder what, how his answer would have been formulated. And I wonder how the discourse would have kind of went from that. A um, couple things you said, you know, just about, people thinking that these movies are like devoid of passion or people that care. I mean, I, I know I'm biased, but, and you, I'm not saying you obviously held this up, but it just, that couldn't be further from the truth for me because, you know, that's the reason these movies work. Like I know that this isn't a comics podcast and I'm by no means a comics expert, but you have movies in the MCU that are, that take, vital parts of like several different comic arcs that every comic arc might be somebody's favorite art. And you might not get a movie adaptation of this arc, but you're going to get a movie that's like, Oh, they, they really know, like they know what worked about this, these four or five different stories and all of it's here. Like they, they took bits and pieces of all these different arcs. And like, that's, that's why it works because the people that make the movies understand what is, special about the characters they're making movies for and one little story you know just talking about you know people caring i mean kevin feige who is like the martin scorsese of the mcu essentially um you know he when he was an intern working with fox um on like the first x-men movie back you know over 20 years ago at this point you know the Fox, um, I don't know the full context, but basically the Fox um, people weren't giving like they weren't there's like comics to read and they weren't like, you know, I guess they I didn't know if they were not allowed or they just didn't give them comics like Kevin Feige used to sneak actors comics like he would smuggle in like comic books for the actors to read because they wanted to know more about their characters and i mean i know that's like really pet small and just like that happened like 20 years ago but like you know someone someone like that being in charge of like all these movies is kind of just like that, that's 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 part of why they're successful because you know you can tell he cares um, What's the difference between that and Star Wars? Because what I've heard, the person who runs Star Wars department doesn't like Star Wars all that much. That's why it suffers hey, so you know, much. That, that's that's why you know the people that oh, I'm just kidding, but yeah, that's that's what people will say. You know, they they make a couple Star Wars movies that you know some people don't like, and now it's like, oh, they don't they don't like Star Wars. Like, no, I, I think they do. It's just you think so? Yeah. I don't know. I'm not a big Star Wars fan. I really like the Last Jedi, but everybody hates on me for that. I, I'm, I not, I'm not a big Star Wars fan. I don't know the lore enough. I just hear I, that. I just hear that. Oh yeah, I mean that was we could have a whole another hour about that. But basically, yeah, when I first saw it, I didn't like it either. But I've come around on it. I think it's it's my I think in my letterbox list, I think it's my third favorite, my third favorite Star Wars movie. 
Um, I just think it does a lot of good things. Um, but anyway, that can be another pod. The last, the very last thing I wanted to say, and it kind of goes back to what I said earlier. You know, it wasn't always easy to make superhero movies. I will say in the same vein that it was why why would anyone ever suspect that a universe like the MCU would work why would anyone if you went into a de- a department you know 15 years ago or a studio 15 years ago and you said i want to make uh i want to make a 22 film epic like i want you to fund me I want you to finance me so I can make 22 movies. And the 22nd movie is going to, is going to be the box. Like it's going to break every box office record ever. And if people are going to line up every, every couple months to come watch one of these movies, like you would have gotten laughed out of the studio. Like it's, it's not, it's not a gimme. It's not a, it's not a layup. Like I get, I understand when you have movies this popular, people are going to criticize them. That's totally fair. Like when you, when you have as, wide reaching an audience you're gonna attract people that criticize them and that's that's they're right and they should but at the same time it there's a reason they're successful you can't you can't just make something like that out of nothing you know corporation aside you know when i watched avengers endgame in theaters i mean i was with probably three to four hundred other people in a packed theater and i mean it was like we were watching i mean I don't know. It it was like we were watching people fight for the fate of the universe, like in real life. I mean, people were, the emotion in that room was just, you could feel it. And I know that sounds corny to some people and that might not be for everybody, but I will say that you don't get that type of emotional attachment and you don't get that type of experience in a movie ever. I mean, ever. I can't, I mean that, you know, that's just, you can't, you can't just easily manufacture that. And it's, I don't know. I think that that in and of itself for me, I could have just led with that, and that 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 gives it the value for me. Um, the type of experience you have that I had, you know, in these in these movies is is why I, at the core, it's one of the main reasons I like going to the movies because it's a it's a shared experience, and it's it's really it's just really fun. I don't know. I th- well, and after after Marvel started, other companies tried to create universes like that, and it failed miserably. Yeah, and I would I would just point to those as like, see, like it's not it's not easy. You can't just do it. You can't just make a movie and then put a post credit scene in there and think, oh, people are going to care. Like, it's it's not that easy. But I think I'm I think I've said all I need to today. Uh, we, we're coming up on like 45, 50 minutes. Uh, if you have any closing thoughts, go ahead. But, uh, I think I'm done for now. Yeah, I'm done for now. I hope I'm going to get burned at the stake for not defending Martin Scorsese. No, No. listen, I still, Marty, if you're, if you're listening, I know, I know you've probably made it this far into it. You can still come on the podcast anytime you want. So yeah, you're always welcome. Honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's time to talk about Judas and the Black Messiah and we're going to cut away to that right now. All right, guys, welcome back. We're here in the film review section of the podcast. We're here to talk about Judas and the Black Messiah. It came out this year in 2021, um, directed by Shaka King, written by Will Burson, stars Daniel Kaluuya. Uh, Kaluuya, not sure if it's, I think I'm pretty sure it's Kaluuya. But Daniel Kaluuya, who just last night won the Golden Globe for Best Supporting Actor in this movie, like Keith Stanfield. 
Jesse Plemons are the headliners. Um, Dominic Fishback plays Deborah, and she has a pretty prominent role in the film. And um, I, I really enjoyed this film. You know, it's um, it's about uh, it's a, based on a true story where um, a man named Bill O'Neill infiltrates the Black Panther Party on behalf of the FBI and J. Edgar Hoover. Um, Daniel Kaluuya plays party chairman Fred Hampton, and it shows his kind of ascension to, you know, in influence at the time with the Black Panthers. And, you know, Fred Hampton in the film, it shows his, his kind of uh, love interest in the film, and it talks about you know, his life a little bit. And then it just really is a story from the perspective mostly of Lakeith Stanfield, who plays the, you know, the informant for the FBI. And just shows kind of a, um, you know, I, I guess just how how prominent you know race is in in this and has always been in terms of um, you know just power dynamics and like how you can be influenced you know against things that you hold dear and things that you respect out of you know fear for what might happen to you if you don't so. Um, I will throw it to Cruz and Cruz. Uh, what uh, what are your main takeaways from this film? Uh, did you enjoy it? And uh, just yeah, what are the what are the highlights for you? Um, yeah, well, I loved I loved the movie. Uh, I said on Letterbox it was the first great movie I saw in 2021, and I still stand by that. I don't think it's perfect. I have a big issue about it, which I'm sure we'll get into soon, but. Aside from that, I thought the movie was fantastic. Um, a really great debut from Shaka King. Have you seen what? Have you seen a picture of Shaka King? I have his IMDb pulled up. Um, he is so tall. Uh, <laughs> I saw a behind the scenes thing. He was standing right beside, or that, or Daniel Kaluuya is super small because he was standing beside Daniel Kaluuya and he was towering over him. And I was like, "Geez, you're tall, man." It just stuck out to me. I couldn't believe it. Like it, it shocked me how tall. Because I, I always thought Daniel Kaluuya was like, I always thought Daniel Kaluuya was tall. Because in yeah. movies, to me, he always seems like he's tall, and he, he was like towering over him. I, I think I feel the same way. I, I think it's because he's got like a really like big torso. But yeah, his, uh, I just googled it, and I mean, I know Google's not always hundred percent accurate, but it says Daniel Kaluuya is only five nine. So oh, okay, that's kind of crazy to me. But anyway, it is. But um, there's a lot of great things about the movie. Best thing, in my opinion, is the acting. Um, I obviously Daniel Kaluuya's performance as Chairman Fred Hampton is like incredible, and it's to me it's an easy performance to kind of like undercut because it's very loud and animated, and there's all there is kind of this. There is a group that will say like the loud and animated performances are easier for like easier to act because you have to be loud. But he is like so there's so much subtlety and nuance to his performance and just the little ways he says things and the way he articulates and emphasizes certain vowels and like his facial expressions. It's not just like an animated performance. It's a very like thoughtful and like incredibly like like a lot of attention to detail in his performance. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think everyone else is great. I thought Lakeith Stanfield was really great. And I think Lakeith Stanfield deserves a lot more credit than he's getting. 
Um, just because um, I think he also has like a very kind of nuanced and subtle performance, and he gets the emotions down really well. And we'll get into I will get into this in a second when it comes to my my main issue with the movie. But I think another reason Lakeith Stanfield deserves some credit is because if I have one issue with this movie, I think his character is kind of underwritten, and I think he carries a lot. I think he carries that character to a lot of great lengths that I think the the writing wasn't able to. Um, yeah. Also, think Jesse Plemons is great. Je- There's another group of people who will undercut Jesse Plemons' performance because he's not very like super emotive like Lakeith and Daniel. Um, but he's, he, he is also just so great. Jesse Plemons has become one of my favorite actors. Like everything he's in, he embodies that character so well. And he just, he's so great in this film. The, the scene in the movie when he's talking to Edgar Hoover and Edgar Hoover is like pressing him about like, what are you, what would you, what are you going to do when, when your daughter brings a black man home and just like his face in that, yeah. just his expression in that, let alone what he's saying. It's like, it's just so good. Like he, his, his character was very well thought out. I felt like, um, and, and there was actually, you could see there was an actual like morality to the character because he would have been a very easy character just to rot as just an evil scumbag. Not yeah. saying he's not not saying he's a good guy. His character is obviously not a good guy, but there's an actual humanity to him. Like you can tell, he has his own morality and his own perspective. He's not just a stereotypical villain. Like yeah. I'm, I'm the big bad, you know, FBI agent. Like there's a real like there's a real depth to his character, as there are all the other characters. Um, but the movie's beautifully shot too. The cinematography's great. I think this. I think the cinematography and the lighting and all that's really great because it it strikes a really good balance at feeling cinematic while also feeling gritty. Because sometimes you'll have a movie that's supposed to be a crime movie, and the the cinematography is so slick that like it feels like you're watching a movie. And then you'll have something like The Departed where it's so gritty that it's uh, it looks ugly. Even though I love The Departed, I think that that really complements the movie. But that movie looks ugly. Yeah. This, it's like it somehow feels gritty and it really feels like a gritty crime drama, but it looks beautiful too. Like there is a cinematic feel to it, but it doesn't like take away from the realism of it. Yeah, I agree. Um, um yeah. Well, yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. Uh, good point about Lakeith Stanfield's character being a little underwritten. I had not thought of that, but now that you say that, I definitely agree. Um, it's kind of like they spent time and I, and I think this gets into a little bit of like what the main, there hasn't been a ton of criticism I think about the, of the movie, but I think one of the main things, and we talked about this the other day is that um, in full disclosure, I mean, I am not, you know, we're not at Liberty to you know really, I guess, justify how we might feel about this, this issue because uh, we are both white, but you know, it's um, something that, like, like the fact that the movie centers on him being the informant, I think is is drawn criticism that you know it can't just be a movie about Fred Hampton. Like, why why does it have to be a movie where it's like, oh, we have to understand that, you know, we have to understand the perspective of the the racist like cops type of thing. I I, I totally get that. I really do. And I think it's you know you said that Jesse Plemons' character, you know, we see development from him, and. While I appreciated that, and I think Jesse Plemons is amazing, I, I think it's like 
could we have just had Jesse Plemons' performance and then given maybe an, a scene or two extra to Lakeith Stanfield to like give his character more depth? I think I think that's perfectly valid. Um, we you know we don't we understand that we got the FBI especially during that time was you know systematically racist. We un- we understand that. You know, I don't think we need a scene of, you know, Martin Sheen, you know, uh, being just overtly racist to Jesse Plemons. I get it. I get why I get why it did that. And I think it accomplished a goal. But I also understand, you know, some of the criticism there. And I think we could have seen I think if you flip flop that and give Lakeith Stanfield a little more character development and make it about his relationship more with um, Fred Hampton, I think I think it could have you know, could have avoided some of that criticism and still been a really powerful film. Um, and I'm sure you might talk more about that in a second, but basically my thoughts on the movie are very similar. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, I thought it was extremely powerful. Daniel Kaluuya is great. And you mentioned that, you know, his performance is really subtle. And I, I agree because when you watch the trailer, you immediately are like, Oh wow. I'm, I'm, I can't wait to watch Daniel Kaluuya just like, giving all these powerful speeches and yelling and doing all this. And he does do that in the film, but I like that, you know, the trailer speech comes at the end of the movie and we have an entire movie where Daniel Kaluuya has to like make us believe that he's Fred Hampton. Now he does have some, you know, monologues like in, in the bar, in the uh, pool hall scene. And like um, when he's talking to the, um, like the young Patriots and all, which is cool. You know, but he's not being like an orator. He's not like, I guess, giving like a big rousing speech. So that gives us the whole movie to really get just absorbed into him as a character. And then by the end, when he gets to be really loud and, you know, boisterous, you know, it's kind of earned at that point. It's not like it's not like that part is carrying the performance. The performance is already established. It was already great. Um, And I think that really worked for me. but yeah, I, I really did enjoy it. I thought that all the relationships in the film, like his relationship with Deb, you know, was drawn was uh, fleshed out really well. And yeah, I can't say enough good things about it. Uh, like you said, Jesse Plemons. I mean, he he kind of plays very similar roles uh, from what I've seen. But at the same time, he's he's just so good in the in the roles that he has. Like you know, he. He seems like just a regular old guy, but you're also scared the whole time. Like, wow, I bet he would probably eat the char- the main character's like heart, like still beating heart because he's so scary sometimes. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I really enjoyed the movie. Well, a lot of people always compare actors and directors to to other actors and directors that I don't think are valid. The one the one comparison he gets that I actually do agree with is Philip Seymour Hoffman because yeah. he's he's like Philip Seymour Hoffman where it's almost like they're they're playing the same type of characters but they have all these subtle differences that make them feel like different characters. Like mm-hmm. there's they're not like Joaquin Phoenix where they're completely doing something off the wall different with every performance but like Philip Seymour Hoffman like do something like the master and then do something like synecdoche new york where like the characters like he's not losing a bunch of weight he's not trying to do an accent or anything like that it's just how he like does like subtle differences and like different kinds of charisma 
and like just like different types of like attitudes it completely changes the characters like i feel like these these actors like jesse plemons like i feel like he understands the important subtle changes to make characters feel different because like he feels like a completely different type of character in breaking bad or game not or i'm thinking of ending things like he doesn't feel the same even though he's not doing like a very performative different type of performance yeah, I completely agree. I completely forgot about him in Game Night. I need to rewatch that. He was He's so good in Game Night. It's so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess we will talk about the writing since we're going to get into the un- the underwritten aspects of it. Um, I will say about the criticisms of the movie I saw on... I've mainly seen it on Twitter. Because I know that we were talking the other day about certain movies getting criticized and stuff and if we feel like it's valid or not. And one, the difference between something like the criticism I've seen for Judas and the Black Messiah and something like Nomadland is when I read the critics looking like criticisms of Nomadland, it felt like they were trying to criticize the movie as if it failed at addressing something. It very obviously didn't want to like take the time to address. It wasn't its goal. On Twitter, I'm sure there's like, you know, like, other people who are not, but the majority, the bulk of people who I've seen make the criticism, they're not really criticizing the movie. In fact, I've seen a lot of them say the movie's great. They're really criticizing the industry for not having like the, the, um, the integrity to make a movie just about, uh, chairman Fred Hampton. Yeah. Like they're, they're saying the movie's great. And that's what, that's almost like we were talking about with Martin Scorsese. It's like, they're, they're, they're criticizing the correct things. Like they're not saying the movie's bad because everyone knows that's not what the movie was trying to be about. And they acknowledge the movie's great at what it's trying to do. They're criticizing the industry for not allowing someone to make a movie just about chairman Fred Hampton. Yeah. And I think that's completely fair. Yeah. Now, with that being said, though, uh, this is I'm going to I'm going to I I like you said, we can't really disagree with that. I mean, I, I don't have a place to disagree with that. And so I I share those sentiments and I would love a movie about Chairman Fred Hampton, just about him, because he's a very interesting person. But from a film perspective, just in a vacuum talking about this movie, I, I'm actually going to be honest. I think there might have been too much. About Chairman Fred Hampton, if the goal was to be about Lakeith Stanfield's character, just because one, I wish this was a miniseries. I wish they could have just had like a six-episode miniseries where they could go in depth about all the characters because I think it's all interesting. I think the life of Chairman Fred Hampton's interesting, and I think just delving into yeah. the atrocity that is Pro by the FBI is interesting. Um, but where, yeah, you're right, there there are some great scenes with Jesse Plemons' character, but they could have dedicated a couple scenes just to being about Lakeith Stanfield. I also think there's other things in the film that I think are powerful in the movie, but those are scenes that could have been taken away to put more focus on Lakeith Stanfield, mm-hmm. like the character Jimmy Palmer. Um, and I, I, I really like Ashton Sanders. He's in Moonlight. But that character, he's great. And when his whole arc of spoiler alert, I guess for Judas and the Black Messiah a little bit, um, 
when his character, well, I won't spoil it, but but the whole character with Jimmy Palmer and how that goes into the character of Jake Winters, that's all very satisfying and how that ends up going and what Chairman Fred Hampton does for those characters in the end. But I, those were things you could have t- taken out um, because it didn't feel like it was actually important to the overall idea of it being about Bill O'Neill's like, moral yeah. conflicts. And the same thing with Daniel Kaluuya and Deborah Johnson. I really loved, or Dominique Fishback, her character, Deborah. I loved their relationship. And once again, if this was really like a movie about like the main character and about the life and times of Chairman Fred Hampton, I think they needed to put more emphasis on him and Deborah Johnson's, uh, that Deborah Johnson character. But because it is about Lakeith Stanfield, I feel like most of the time, the movie just would have been about like his relationship with Chairman Fred Hampton. Cause I don't really feel their relationship. Yeah. They hang out a couple times. Um, and I, 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 you know, I do get the sense that maybe like Bill O'Neill maybe likes Chairman Fred Hampton. I never felt the sense that he genuinely like really believed Chairman Fred Hampton. And they make a point in the film to have a scene where Jesse Plemons is like, Oh, they have, they make a couple points in the film actually, where like Jesse Plemons is trying to like remind Bill O'Neill, like, hey, don't fall for this. Almost like they want you to think he's becoming like seduced by the philosophy of Chairman Fred Hampton. I never believed he felt that. I never believed he actually. I only felt like his real conflict was he didn't want to get caught. I never felt like there was a real conflict if he felt bad betraying the Black Panther Party near the end of the movie, even when it's time for him to kill. Um, even when he's supposed to kill Daniel Kaluuya's character, Chairman Fred Hampton, it's like he's like crying and he's very sad. But like I, I was like, I don't know where that came from. I, I never saw that type of conflict you had up until then. It felt like your conflict was really you just didn't want to get caught. But I've heard from like the director and other people on the movie that the movie's supposed to be about how like he felt bad to a degree turning on the Black Panther Party, I never felt that. I never felt like he actually cared. There's a lot there due to his performance. He does a lot of great jobs to like make you feel him being scared, but I never got this idea that he actually felt like a sense of regret for what he did to the Black Panther Party. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, I think, you know, it just goes back to what you said about Stanfield's performance because when you think about it, there really there really isn't a lot of concrete just evidence for the certain like emotions he portrays. I mean, he just does a really excellent job acting them out. Um, yeah, I, I think so too. I mean, I think by the end of the movie, when there's the scene where, you know, they kind of have that falling out um, when he, sh- what's in his trunk, you know, and, They um they kind of have more like emotionally impactful like oh they're they're you know they're finally like. kind of at a pack friends of like oh man we're 
that close. And I wonder how much that has to do with like what happened. Were were they really, really close friends? Yes, to Fred Hampton, Chairman Fred Hampton, I never believed that he really had that conflict. That's why I was confused. I think this movie, this is, this is where this is the, and I don't want to, I don't want to take away from the fact. I know it sounds critical now, but this does this. This really is like an incredible movie. Um, but, and it's a great directorial debut. Uh, I felt like this movie was like trying to be. Um, biographical, like a biographical film, obviously, where it's it's kind of telling you the events and stuff like that. But if if the goal was to be more about like Daniel Kalu or not, sorry, not Daniel Kaluuya, uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character Bill O'Neill, I think this should have been a little bit deeper of a character study then to feel that emotion. Like maybe there should have been more subjective filmmaking where. You're you're getting more. You get like one nightmare sequence from from Lakeith Stanfield's character. Maybe you should have had more nightmare sequences. Maybe you should have had more scenes that where it felt like he was genuinely being influenced by Chairman Fred Hampton. Like I, I never really got that, and I felt like that was a very important aspect of the movie they wanted to like emphasize, and it just didn't really come to fruition that way. Um. Yeah. So um, I feel like there should have been a little bit more of like a character study on Lakeith, if that's the point of the movie. But other than that, everything else about this movie is so great it makes up for that. Like it, it seems like a big issue, but yeah. this movie does so many things so great that it ends up not being a super big issue. Um, so like once again, like I still think the movie's great. I just I do wish that they might have taken. I know a lot of people wanted more attention on Chairman Fred Hampton. But if this movie is supposed to be about Bill O'Neill, I do think other characters got maybe too much attention where it took away from Bill O'Neill's character. Um, although I would love a movie just on Chairman Fred Hampton. And I know that they probably will, never will, but if they do um, do a, a biopic about Chairman Fred Hampton, please get Daniel Kaluuya to play it again. I just don't see how anyone yeah. can play Daniel Kaluuya again. I watched the um, trial of the Chicago 7 not too long ago. I know I mentioned that earlier, and I didn't know, but there is a there is a, a Chairman Fred Hampton character in that movie. Um, I say like he's not a real person, but it, that movie's weird because he was never actually – involved in those events so he's completely fictionalized in that movie um mm. but it's played by kelvin harris jr from waves and i love him and he i love him so much he's such a great actor and i felt so bad because his performance as chairman fred hampton 
is so severely lacking because Daniel Kaluuya was so great. That yeah. I genuinely like if if they if enough people are able to incentivize the film industry to say, you know what, fine, we're going to do just a hands-off, just like Fred Hampton biopic, Chairman Fred Hampton. Please get Daniel Kaluuya to do it again because he's so great in this way. I don't see how anyone else could be Chairman Fred Hampton other than Daniel Kaluuya. I co-sign that 100%. And I think think you touched on it a little bit. Like The reason we're probably harping on this as a complaint so much is, is simply to the fact that like, there's not much to complain about. Um, I mean, when I'm not to spoil my rating, but I mean, you'll see when we get to the rate, when we slap a rating on this bad boy, um, it's not, it's not nearly enough to kind of bring it down, uh, that much. So, yeah, I I think the only problem I have. Yeah. Same. And I mean, it's, it's, it's not even that big of a deal because of how good Stanfield is. But like you said, I, I just, the whole time, whenever he would have the the conversations with Jesse Plemons' character, I, I kept waiting for like Stanfield to have like a moment where he like, and I understand why he wouldn't. Like I understand like the context, I you know of, you know, Jesse Plemons is a white police officer. Like Stan, you know, like Bill O'Neill doesn't need to, I guess, fire back at him and get like in these big you know arguments about race, like. Like he he's scared in that moment. I understand that, but I thought for the movie's sake, I thought we would at least get a little more pushback in those scenes where it, it always just felt like, you know, Jesse Plemons has you know, has his, you know, foot on his neck, and he's like, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do this, and, you know, if we don't get that, if we don't if we don't understand how Stanfield really feel or how Bill O'Neill really feels about these you know racial dynamics like i understand at a, at his core you know he's a black he's a black man and he obviously you know understands the plot and and the experience but and we as an audience know that but i i just wish the movie would have shown us like hey this is how he feels these are some of the the things he feels and maybe they didn't because i mean obviously at the you know we know what happens to Bill O'Neill in real life. And at the end of this movie, like maybe they didn't give us that because maybe there was nothing there. Like maybe they didn't want to show us like that. He was as redeemable. I mean, maybe that's a reach for me. Like maybe they just want, he like Shaka King was trying to show us that he was kind of just reluctantly playing the part. We'll see. That's another thing where I was I, in. Uh, I got. I watched an interview with Shaka King because I was hoping to see maybe he would get into that. And the only thing he said when he talked about like the dynamics between Lakeith Stanfield and Daniel Kaluuya is that a thing. Uh, he said a thing he wanted to touch on. And once again, I think that's a very interesting thing to touch on. I don't know if if it was fleshed out in the best way, but he said that he wanted to like kind of pair and contrast the philosophy of the two characters and their idea of freedom in America where Chairman Fred Hampton's idea of freedom is to like blow past the oppressive structures of like these institutions and capitalism and and stuff like that where and this is coming from the director he says that Bill O'Neill saw power and freedom from getting money and obtaining capital in America, like the black capitalism, what Chairman Fred Hampton says early in the movie, we're not going to fight capitalism with black capitalism, but 
Lakeith Stanfield's character, Shaka King says that his character, that's his idea of freedom and power is black capitalism getting money. And, and they try to touch on that a little bit where he's like, he talks about like the money and, and stuff like that. Am I going to get paid? But once again, it's like, we just don't have enough time with Lakeith Stanfield to where it like, it really feels like it fleshes out into that. Um, yeah. You do it, feel it that feels- with Chairman Fred Hampton, though. Yeah, it, it just feels like it feels like the plot is kind of just happening to Bill O'Neill, and we're not yeah we're not seeing we're not seeing Bill O'Neill like how he feels. Like I understand that. Like if if Shaka King told me watch the movie with me and said, "Okay, see he in this scene," like you know, I want you to understand this. I get that. It's just I yeah. I think at the end of the day, we just needed more substantive like. I guess claims from, from Bill O'Neill. Like we needed, we needed more about, because like you said earlier, it, it kind of just feels like the whole movie, he didn't want to get caught. Like, and that's true. I mean, he didn't want to get caught, but I, I do think, you know, we needed to see more about him siding with, you know, Hampton or believing in the black Panther movement outside of him, outside of just Jesse Plemons character telling us like, Oh, you know, you're starting to believe this stuff. Like, and, and and again, I know I just said it a minute ago. Maybe maybe it's because he didn't want to go overboard with Bill O'Neill doing that because event inevitably, like he he didn't side with the Black Panthers. You know, I mean, that's not. I guess it's a spoiler, but you know, it it is what it is. Like, we kind of have to talk about that. But I was gonna say the really the movie is implied by the title. Like, yeah, and he didn't, he didn't True, very true, and and uh, and that was one other thing I wanted to. This is like just a small compliment. I think the, I think how good the movie is, is made even better when you now obviously people could go into this movie not knowing who Fred Hampton is and not knowing like what happens, but I think that if you, since this is a movie that was made about events that happened so long ago, like the fact that you as the audience member or me personally, like I knew kind of where the end goal was like i know i know what's going to happen to fred hampton like i know i know oh, yeah. i knew what was like, going to happen to chairman fred yeah. so so the fact that i know that the whole time it still didn't take away from how the movie affected me like i still really liked it and i think that's that's a huge accomplishment because it's it would be really easy to make a movie where you know most of your audience knows where it's going to end up and and then at the end of the movie, they're just like, "Oh yeah, well, that's what happens." But by the end of the movie, I was, I was really just, I was, I was really emotionally invested, despite knowing where it kind of went. But that, that's just a, a side compliment. But I guess ultimately, maybe, maybe he, they, maybe King didn't feel like he wanted to show Bill O'Neill being much of like a adamant, I guess, savior type character because of what his character, what. Bill O'Neill, the person, actually ends up doing in real life. Like he didn't want to misrepresent him in a certain way. I, I guess, I guess, I could see the the difficulty with not wanting to do that. But like I said, it's not a it's not a main it's not a huge. Well, problem, the, the but... funny thing you say though, I'm sorry. The the funny thing you say though is when when you find out at the end what actually happens to Bill O'Neill's character. Yeah. Then I was kind of like, okay, well then, were you emotionally conflicted with that? Like, yeah, because. I don't know why you would end up doing what you do in the very, very end when it talks about what the characters go on to do. It's like if, if you didn't feel that 
like if you were just trying to get the money and stuff and you were just afraid about getting caught, I don't really get unless he did it because he was afraid that would put like that publicity would put a, a target on his back. But yeah. And I think we you get a little bit of that when he goes when he's at the end and he asks, you know, he says he's I'm gonna get more drinks. Like do you want Yeah, that drink? you really feel it in his yeah. performance. It's it's really good there. I just wish we had a couple more scenes that like just establish, you know, either their relationship like you could have even picked one. You could have picked you could have given him a stronger relationship with Fred Hampton, or you could have given us more clues as to how Bill O'Neill felt about the Black Panther movement, um, or just race, like the race problem, the race problems in general during that time. Like either one of those, if you give me a little bit more development there, I think it works much better. You didn't even have to do both, but like I said, I mean, I feel we're 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 harping on this a lot because it's pretty much the only complaint I have. Yeah, it really is. You know, everything else about this movie is really great. I mean, like I said, I said on Letterbox and I stand by. This is the first great movie to come out of twenty twenty one. Yeah, I agree. Um, but yeah, I, I can't say enough good things. I mean, shot this bit. I did not know this was a di- directorial debut. Um, so that that makes me really excited for what Shaka Kane's going to do next. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really excited. But um, you know, if if you have closing thoughts, go for it. Um, but I'm ready to go ahead and slap a rating on this thing. Yeah, no, I've pretty much summed up everything. Performances are great. Very well made. A little underwritten for uh, Bill O'Neill's character. Um, I really wish this was a mini series, just so they could take time to develop everything about COINTELPRO. Because I really would have loved to continue to see a bunch of development of Bill O'Neill, a bunch of development of Chairman Fred Hampton, and a bunch of development of Jesse Plemons' character. I think that is an interesting way to look at. I think I don't think he's a good guy by any means, but I think in terms of a movie. He does have a complexity that would be interesting to see continue through the film. Mm-hmm. So I wish there was like a mini series where like all three characters, you could just really go deep into all three characters and just see them like in these events. Um, yeah. I will say one last thing I did want to say, I know a lot of people also have been let down by how they brush over chairman Fred Hampton's politics. But I will say I was actually quite surprised how much they actually did put in there. Same. Um, they they did a lot to dispel the misconceptions of the Black Panther Party and also socialism. Yeah, I agree. I didn't um, know that was, was a complaint. Very shocked. But I didn't know that was a complaint. But I I mean I thought it was I thought it was pretty you know on the nose. Like I thought it was from the very beginning. He makes it clear you know what their goals are. I, I didn't. Yeah. Uh, like obviously you're not going to know it as much as if you read his work but i was i I heard that 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 criticism before going into the movie so i thought they were just not going to touch on it at all so i was like very surprised to see how much they actually touched on and the lot they represented it in 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 a pretty positive way at least to me enough to make people actually interested in going to to like read about his work and views um that also reminds me when we were talking about movies we saw um, I forgot to say I saw that movie, The Little Things, and I didn't like it. I was, I was, I just remember that when I was talking about the first great movie of yeah. 2021, and I was going to make a joke and say, "Well, never mind, that's The Little Things," but I forgot I didn't mention it earlier. Yeah, I, um, I need to. I wanted to. I was really excited to see it, but then when I saw the reviews, it kind of killed. I think that was going to be the first thing I watched uh, this year, and it, it kind of killed my excitement for it. I mean, I may still watch it, but 
definitely not looking forward to it as much. Um, it's more bland than bad. It's not like this thing where it's like offensively just horribly made. Some of the editing is the editing is the worst part. Um, and I don't think the acting is great across the boards. But Denzel's good, and it's an, it's fine. It's just bland. That's the big issue. Is it's very bland. Yeah. Well, maybe I'll still check it out. Um, the last thing I wanted to touch on that you mentioned about Jesse Plemons is like I, I could totally going back to like the criticism I mentioned earlier that I saw from some people. Like I could totally understand if they would have made um, like you know if they if they would have made it made us try to have to sympathize more with him being like the white cop character. I think that would have been a mistake. Obviously, I don't think that's the case here, but. It's like um, I do think it. There's inherent value in showing us like how people back then like that might not be like overtly just you know like violently racist. Like I think it's it is valuable to show us like this is what you know we're not supposed to feel sorry for this person, but we are meant to see like you know this is how systemic racism persists and this is how it manifested like you had people that were like kind of like the the motors behind it but then you have people like jesse Plemons' character that are just like you know they're not they're not they're not strong enough to say to stand up to it in those instances yeah. and that's well, how you can tell he likes the character bill o'neill yeah but the, but you also do have moments where it's like the the racism is so ingrained that he he will say things that like that you're just like wow that's racist but it yeah it's no that's like, what I'm saying yeah for, for the well, time, I, it's like it's like that's you know that just shows how ingrained it was because you know he he saw that as like going outside and oh the sky's blue like you know that that's how it was back then and and uh, and for some people it still is today but sadly uh, so yeah I think they did a great job of like not they didn't want us to feel sorry for him, but they definitely, I definitely was like, yeah, this is, you need to show this because it's like, this is just how, just how it was. I mean, this is just how, how, how it manifests. Oh yeah. Well, I agree with you too. And what I've always had that opinion though, is I, I, I don't think it's good to, to not let, I don't think it's good to try to act like everything's black and white, no matter how much, like I know that some people are quick to jump and say like, you're trying to humanize bad people or humanize racist and bigotry, but it's like, no, people have to understand the world's not black and white people. Racist people aren't just like cartoon villains. They have depth to them. And it's important to understand that depth. So you can, it, cause it helps you figure out ways to combat because, like, you kind of get the impression that, like, if a character like Jesse Plemons, if almost you could get him in the uh, with the right people, he could have his mind changed in a way. Like, it's not one of those things where he's far gone. I mean, he is considered the environment he's in with the FBI. But, like, you can almost see, like, this sense of, like, well, like, if you were with the right people, you could maybe change your mind. Like, you could you could see the era of your ways, and it's it's a shame that you that you don't. Um, unlike J. Edgar Hoover, where like, yeah, when you see him talking, you're like, no, you're far gone. You will never change your mind about about how you feel about that. But Jesse Plemons almost like they almost kind of hint at that he's kind of been indoctrinated too, because he talks about the KKK and Black Panther being two sides of the same coin. That typical yeah. myth here, when that's very yeah. obviously not true. 
Um, I think it's important to to, and I I agree with you. They they don't try to make you sympathize with them. They just humanize him to show there's depth to this, and that's yeah. important. And that's a really great thing. Um, but yeah, uh, like I said, there's so many amazing things about this movie that I know that we kind of criticized an aspect of it, but that's literally the only aspect I could think to criticize it for. I completely agree. Uh, it's really good. And uh, if you're listening and you, you know, we don't, I always put spoiler tags in the review, but I mean, definitely check it out if you have it. Cause it is, it is really, really good. Um, just to kind of jump into the rating section. I mean, I, I do have scores. I, I know that you traditionally did not. Um, but if anybody's listened, they know that I'm too indecisive to not do have scores. So, uh, I gave it on Letterboxd. I gave it a 4.5, four and a half out of five. Um, you know, I, I, we've, we've had discussions before about like, how do you discern between a four and a half and a five? Like, how do you go from a four to a five? Like, you know, I think it's kind of tough to put your finger on exactly what makes a movie like, oh, that's a perfect five out of five. Like, or that's a, that's a masterpiece type movie. But I, I don't think this movie gets to that hot, but I think it's just so solid in every avenue. And like we've said, we had the minor complaint. Uh, about one character but uh, it's nothing that it's it's only reinforced by stanfield's performance and it saves it uh what little you know i guess writing miscue there may have been um so yeah i have it a a four and a half out of five really really excellent film and i can't wait to see what shaka king does next yeah i actually meant to tell you i've now added half scores because i see i didn't say that but i thought i remembered you saying that uh, yeah, I, I have half scores now because I'm, the more and more I watch movies now, I feel you now where like you get to a point where it's like a movie like this, for example, for you and when it's a 4.5, there's that thing where it's like, I, I don't want to give it a 5 because I don't think it's a 5, but I feel like I'm undercutting it if I give it a 4, so that 4.5 is almost perfect. And like, I feel that way with, that's how I feel with a lot of movies now. Like I went back and like put half scores and stuff. Cause sometimes I'll watch a movie and it's like, well, I don't want to give it a three because I feel like it, it deserves more than a three, but it's not necessarily right at a four. So I give it a 3.5 type of deal. Um, yeah. But with this, I'm going to give it a clean four out of five. Um, I think it's great. Uh, like I said, I just wish that it, uh, I wish they would have either just done a movie about Chairman Fred Hampton or actually would have taken the time to develop Bill O'Neill. Um, but everything else about the movie is great. Um, it's just so really my scores are still emotional based. It's just how I'm feeling. So I'm feeling yeah. a, a four out of five. Well, that sounds good to me. Uh, overall, still a really good score. Uh, you know, four and a half, four and a half still and a four uh, nothing to sneeze at so definitely an excellent film and i think we both are in agreement there uh but guys that's going to wrap it up for today we really enjoy uh being back here today i know i do i know i speak for Cruz as well um we're definitely going to try to be more consistent going forward um we're still going to wait on lord of the rings uh, just because that's such a big undertaking and our schedules just have not cooperated to do that um, but hopefully we can pump out a couple of episodes here and there as we watch more things. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. Again, if you've listened this far, we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Give us a five-star review uh, wherever you're listening. 
Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Facebook. And yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Thank you so much.